everybody welcome back once again this is not another new girl podcast i'm ellie kniff not again i'm hannah scambalone <laughs> not again but here we are again not to disappoint <laughs> how you doing hannah oh well um I'm in the middle of a uh, cross-country move, so as good as one can be in those circumstances. Uh, now it's been great. Uh, as of tomorrow, I'll have been unemployed for one whole week, which is like the longest ever for me. So uh, I'm, I'm living my dream. I'm living. <laughs> Just packing up. I've shown you the uh, shit show that is my apartment right now and trying to get everything together, so... <laughs> That's been my that's been my existence. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm blonde now. <laughs> yes, you are. Talk about talk about this solo show that you've bleached your hair for. Well, I'm, I'm so intrigued by this idea. I I wanna I wanna keep it a little bit on the DL so as oh, not to spoil anything. But I do have an up and coming project um, that I have bleached my hair for. So. Some of you will probably hear about it. Y'all are gonna want to stay tuned for this one, trust me. <laughs> it's it's gonna be good. <laughs> well. Well. <laughs> We're getting to the end of the season, I can sense it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's chaos in the air. Things are building. <sighs> chaos in the air. Do you ever feel like you're getting to the end of this like of a season in your life? Like, oh man, if this was a TV show, this would be like <laughs> The finale, up and coming, I don't know. That's yeah. kind of how I feel like my life is going right now. <laughs> yeah, well, you're about to make a big move. Yeah, it's uh, hopefully only a move I'll have to make once. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, well, have you ever kept a secret from a friend? I thought about this all day, and I, I feel like I kind of am the type of person that really can't keep secrets about themselves. Every time I get a new idea, I have to at least tell somebody about it, you know? Like, I can't, I can't really, I, I'm not great at keeping secrets about myself. I do, however, keep other people's secrets well, you know? So I have, I have, like, kept, you know, secrets for other people, you know? Just small stuff, like, oh, along the lines of, oh, I'm dating this person, don't tell anybody, you know, like, that kind of stuff. Like, just minor, you know, nothing, like, particularly sexy or adventurous. I wish I was more... I was I I guess I wish I was less of an open book, but <laughs> oh well. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of the same. I thought of a fun example because this week my one of my friends' birthdays was this week, and my roommate and I threw them a surprise party, and I had asked them, "Oh, do you want to come over for dinner on Wednesday? We'll cook you a nice home cooked meal." And they were like, "Oh yeah, that sounds great." So my roommate and I went to pick them up and all our other friends like showed up and left like a trail of beers like from the door to the (laughs) thing and decorated and stuff. Oh, but that's a good secret. Yeah, we were like in the car though on the way there and I, uh, they were like, oh, what are, uh, what are we having for dinner? And I was like, pasta. And then we had to like dig ourselves like deeper and deeper into the lie but we were like, oh, yeah, we couldn't find that beer you like, but we got this really nice wine for you. And we just kept lying to them. And I was like, we didn't have to, like, go that deep. But, um, yeah, we, like, stopped at a bunch of convenience stores because I, like, had to get something. We were trying to buy everyone at the house time. 
it was the whole time we were just lying to them, but it was because um, we wanted to surprise them. <laughs> That's awesome. I love surprise parties. Ugh. Oh. That's that's all. See, that's a good secret. That's right. like not like that's not like you know deceitful in any ways. <laughs> I had like I was trying to think if if I'd ever had to like keep anybody that I was dating a secret. And both of the major relationships that I had in college started as secrets, actually, yeah. but for different reasons. Yeah, the first one was just because there was a lot of um, new department couples at the time that we started dating, and we didn't want to fall into that uh, category, so we were able to keep it concealed for, like, probably two months. And then the second major relationship, it didn't end up being a big deal at all, but the reason that we wanted to keep it, like, on the DL was because he was uh, an ex of uh, one of my friends at the time. But she, I mean, they only went on a few dates, and she ended up being, like quite happy about it once everything came to light it wasn't like a huge dramatic thing like uh this fight between jess and cc ended up being yeah i i did actually i dated someone that i worked with once and we Mm. were keeping it secret from our bosses um although i think that everyone knew like it wasn't a secret that we were best friends at the job (laughs) like i think everyone suspected but whatever Sometimes you just got to keep it, like, out of the official boss sphere of contact, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Keeping a secret from your boss is different than keeping a secret from Way your friend. Way different. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into it. Episode yes. 19, Secrets. I want to say that while I admire the way that Winston solves the problems at the end of this episode none of this would have happened if he had if he had just not told nick if he had just kept his fucking mouth shut this would have been fine <laughs> that's one of the things i love about this show though is that th- these people are just all such good people that it gets them into trouble but yeah he's like oh i can't keep it a secret like i have to tell someone i love it i uh can understand Jess's shock and awe, I guess. (laughs) Like, I couldn't imagine knowing someone like Schmidt and then finding out that he was sleeping with my best friend for, like, a considerable amount of time and, like, not being at least a little bit, like, taken aback by it. Okay, that's fair. Because I, I was this time around very much like, I don't understand why Jess is so mad, but I guess when you put it that way, I agree. I think it's just because of who she knows Schmidt to be at this point that, like, upsets her. It's not in his nature to keep things, like, low-key, for starters. And also, I feel like he's super different from the type of people that Cece usually goes after or ends up with. I don't know. So she probably would have been, like, I don't know. If I had been her best friend, I would have been like, oh, like, why didn't we talk about this? I guess that's true. Huh. Yeah, I guess now if I think, like, if you started, I mean, like, if you were single and you, like, started dating one of my very good guy friends and, like, didn't tell me, I'd be like, kind of, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that Jess was, like, a little bit juvenile in the fight. And and this episode, I have to say, I laughed the most at this episode. The, <laughs> I wrote down so many lines from it. <laughs> like... But she she is a little bit, like, you know, juvenile and immature and maybe, you know, could have been handled a, a different way. But I also think that she was valid in being upset 
about it. She had, she had, not that she had a right to know, but like, if you're best friends and you share everything, like, to the level that, like, we'll get to it in the next episode, but like, to the level that she shares with Cece about Russell, like, I would be kind of upset if I didn't know something that big about my best friend. I love when, I love when she's, um, speaking of her being juvenile in the fight, when she's, she's listening to Diane Keaton's autobiography, and then she's like, oh, sorry, I can't hear you. Diane Keaton's talking about her beautiful life full of loyal friends. (laughs) And that's what she's running to. Oh my god. (laughs) I'll be honest, sometimes I do run to, like, a podcast or an audiobook because it distracts me. I'll run to podcasts, but... I, I have never actually listened to an audiobook. I've given it a try, but I've always been sort of, I don't know, unsettled by it. <laughs> I don't know why. Valid. That's probably a good way to consume information, though. I always am like, oh, it's just like listening to a podcast. But I guess it's not. It's very different. Anyway. I uh, I love that, C- that Cece was so upset. She was like, I hate it when we fight. And she's like, my eye twitch is back. <laughs> like... I just that uh, it really illustrates the the depth of their friendship. I liked that moment a lot in this episode. Do you want to talk about the guest stars? Yes, and so because uh, Nick is in this vein of uh, sleeping with young women, which we'll talk about in a second, um, as being sort of an interesting plot point, there are a lot of guest stars in this episode. So. Katrina Bowden as Holly, and she was the recurring blonde girlfriend of Nick's. You'll recognize her as Sari from 30 Rock, um, and she was also in movies like Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. The first girl that he ushers out of the apartment was Sophie Kargman, and uh, she actually doesn't do a whole lot of acting anymore. She pivoted more towards producing. She's uh, had a lot of indie films produced in the last couple years including query in 2020 the girl known as the scarf stealer to me because i didn't i never got her name (laughs) was uh, jessica blair herman and she's a network actress like a lot of the following women are going to be they're all on different fox network shows jessica specifically was on american crime story how i met your mother other network shows in like one-off roles Claire, the girl that Schmidt was making out with in a flashback, was Rakafet Abergel, and uh, she's best known for Superbad. She's mostly a producer as well. The two girls who are running the race together, the roommates that Nick finds out that he slept with, are Brenda Koo as Willow, um, and she had her small role in The Bling Ring, which is a Sofia Coppola movie, and Maitland McConnell as Megan. And I actually thought that Maitland McConnell was actually Sarah Hyland from Modern Family. I was surprised to learn that it wasn't her because they looked shockingly similar. Um, but she was in Chucky and um, a whole bunch of other, like, B-horror movies from the last 10 years. So it seems like she really has found, like, a niche in, like, like a Scream Queen category. Mm-hmm. And then, finally, we have Cece's model friends. Nadia is a woman, played by a woman named Rebecca Reed, who is... Just kills this role. Um, she's best known for other roles on like shows like Children's Hospital. And then the other model, Masha, is a, played by a woman named Sasha Negaba. Um, and she is another huge network actress. She was in a bunch of different stuff, uh, most notably, and had the most recurring roles on Chicago BD and NCIS. So those are all of the major guest stars in this episode. I chose not to include the other members of the race because... For, for the sake of brevity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there were a lot of people coming in and out of this episode, so 
lots of great performances from the from the guests that made this funny one of my favorite moments is actually one of the quotes from uh katrina bowden and we'll get to that in a minute well you had something about the college tracking here which i didn't make yeah. this connection so so we had been talking about like tracking their relationships and i don't quite remember where we left off but we do in this episode see Winston, Nick, and Schmidt in his, like, youthful, pudgier form in college with the uh, girl in the I Am Claire t-shirt. <laughs> so we know that Nick and Winston were childhood friends. So clearly they all came together at some point during college because Nick and Winston were, were very present for that moment. And it was echoed again later in the episode. I was trying to figure out if this was them at college or if it was them when they first moved to the loft which would still indicate like what their like college age life was like i guess i would have to go back and look i didn't even think about that i just assumed that it would be like them in college it's a fair assumption oh man if we're really gonna be serious about the tracking we'll have to go back and look (laughs) i'm sure that won't be an issue (laughs) i just the only reason i thought that was because i remember the i am claire shirt from like the second episode where jess is like going through his lost and found yes you're right so maybe winston didn't encounter nick and schmidt in college then we're it's still ambiguous yeah maybe just leave it ambiguous for the moment we'll we'll hunt you down i am claire (laughs) (laughs) we'll know where you fell (laughs) We'll figure out when you when you encountered this storyline. <laughs> well, one of the other like big things that happens in this episode that Jess just—I love how this whole episode is just Jess overreacting to things. And one of them is uh, when they're all oh, in yeah. the bedroom and and Nick's bedroom, I think, and they're talking about they all of the men reveal to her that they have thought about her in like sexual situations before. Um, and I just want to like touch on this because she seemed like so devastated and I mean I get it I would feel uncomfortable too but I would feel uncomfortable if it were revealed to me in this way I feel like she does have to seem to have some like I don't know I guess more naive values I would say I feel like this is a sitcom trope forgive my own naivety but I feel like this has to be like like, if we're talking about, like, our close friends, like, I I feel like this has to just be, like, a TV trope, right? Like, this doesn't happen in real life. Uh, I, like, both agree and disagree, because when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, well, yeah, like, I have a lot of, like, friends that I've, like, had a crush on at one point or another. Or, like, a close friend that, like, for a couple days I've been like, do I like them? And then I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. So I, I interpreted it as that, where it's like, oh, we're all just so close that, like, we've been there with each other. Okay, that's fair. Like, you can you can mistake a couple, like, day, like, I don't know, I guess what you, what you would call that, like, a couple day crush for something, like. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like it was addressed uh, very oddly in this episode, and it was funny still, but, like... Also, when Schmidt's like, oh, I, when he's explaining his experience and he's like, I pictured bangs and your face just appeared underneath them. I was like, she and Cece have the same haircut. <laughs> like, why didn't he think of Cece when he was thinking of bangs? They do. Maybe he hadn't met her yet, but also that does seem like a pretty 
glaring plot hole, especially for Schmidt. <laughs> I've always thought that. Her having the line, so you've all thought about me when self-completing just kills me. Which I would argue is probably an over-exaggeration for what happened with uh, Winston, at least. You can't control sex dreams. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. The- and the raccoon hands, I was like, Oh this my is- god, <laughs> what did the raccoon hands look like? Oh man, they were digging through that garbage. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle got home in the middle of me watching the episodes today, and he sat down for that, and he was like, God, he's Winston is so weird. And I was like, is this when they finally give Winston his wings? Like, is this when he finally gets to be, like, start to transition into this fully weird-ass, like, Winston that we, we get to see later on? I really think it is, because that's what- they bring back Theodore K. Mullins in this episode. They do- they do two fucking what a legendary monologue (laughs) the girls are like we're leaving (laughs) he just solves all the problems in that one go you (laughs) give her her scarf back finders keepers isn't a thing (laughs) do you want to talk episode 20 i guess we probably should this was the the episode 19 was was hilarious but now we got to get into some some weirder more power dynamics because Russell's back. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so normal. Normal is the title of the episode. Have you ever introduced someone to your friends and they end up getting along too well? Um, like to the point where you're feeling left out in the same way that Jess does? So this is going to make me sound like such a square. <laughs> but one of my... <laughs> And I discovered this in therapy, so this is a real thing. This isn't just me bullshitting on a podcast. I love introducing people to one another. Like, I really like to mesh, like, people from different cliques in my life. Like, I made my friend, my coworker, Allie, like, start hanging out with Julia. And now they hang out without me, and it's awesome. Like, and Julia adopted her cat. And, like, it's just, like, I, I love, like you know, bringing Jen along to events with you guys. Like, I loved, like, integrating Kyle into our friend group once we started dating. Like, I just really love nothing more than, like, bringing people together that I think will get along or, like, that just, like, I both really love and just, like, seeing them get along and, like, you know, it doesn't always work out. But, like, that's just literally one of my favorite things. Like, just making people make friends, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I guess as somebody that never had friends as a child, that's probably, uh... <laughs> I just want to have everybody connect. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. Is, that. is that super lame to say? Like, I just, I like to... And, like, I'm, ex- I'm super excited to meet, like, your friends from Portland and, like, the friends that you made in New York and just, like, I don't, I don't know. I just... I think that's, like, healthy. And also, I think, I think when I'm, like, in a healthy place, then, like, same... But I've definitely been in situations where, like, I can think of one in particular where I was working on a show with, like, two friends who had never met each other. And I was like, oh, these are my, like, hey, what's up, guys? Like, these are your friends. And I was, like, so excited to spend time with both of them on this show. And then, like, they ended up, like, becoming better friends with each other than either of them were with me. And I was like, oh, no, they don't like me. But then I had to, like, check myself because I was like, no, Ellie, like, it's not about that. It's, it's literally just that, like, you should be happy for your friends because they get along. 
so yeah i i do love when my friends hang out like i know that like jillian and henry have hung out before and i love that but you know when i'm like feeling insecure and then that happens i'm like no please be my friend no i can i can get the insecure part of it uh is this the first time that they play a true american i think that it is because they kind of make it a point to like halfway explain the rules to russell although they never really explained it well enough that like i like if you were to ask me to play true american like tonight i I don't think i could like glean that from this episode's explanation but they do make it a point to like kind of explain the basics to russell so i feel like it is the the first time right like i thought so too but i also have seen it a million times so i was like is it i uh wanted to play that drinking game a whole lot (laughs) that looked like fun I know. I've always wanted to play it, but I never have. Well, once we're all living in the same city, I think we should give it a try. I really uh, think that our friend group could benefit from from a high-stakes, life-size board game such as True American. (laughs) Yeah, I think that would only do us good as a group, I agree. (laughs) Amen. Do you want to talk about the guest stars? Yeah, so... um... There are a lot of repeat guest stars in this one, so such as Michaela Watkins, who reprises her role as Gina, Alvin's mom. I don't think I talked about Alvin the first time that he appeared. Alvin is played by Blake Garen Rosenthal. Blake Garrett Rosenthal, excuse me. Um, and he is uh, sort of a prominent child actor. He's appeared in Bridesmaids, Mom, The Office, and a bunch of other network shows. Dermot Moroni reappears as russell we are introduced to a new boss for winston joe napoli who is played by phil hendry and you he might seem familiar to you but that's just because he's done a ton of voice acting specifically lead roles on f is for family rick and morty and futurama among many 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 others according to his imdb he brings a truly unique energy (laughs) that we'll talk about in a minute um and then (coughs) we get fucking kareem abdul jabbar as himself fulfilling one of my absolute favorite comedic tropes which is basketball players playing themselves i love it anytime this happens like when lebron james played himself in train wreck or fucking kevin durant played himself in uncut gems just every time bla- basketball players play like a hyped up version of themselves it's just comedic gold for me You'll remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar from being a basketball legend as well as a comedic legend as the co-pilot in Airplane, who is also playing himself in that movie. Just just a great sport. <laughs> great actor. He, he throws Winston a couple, like, <laughs> paper balls over the cubicle walls, and it's just it's awesome. I, I love that they got him. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I just every time I see this, I'm just like, how? How much money were they like? Please, please come be on our show. Come do this for the bit, man. <laughs> and he writes him that note, like, get out, you will die here. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, number thirty-three. <laughs> so funny. I couldn't imagine being that tall. <laughs> I know. I thought about that when Winston was looking up at him. I was like, man, can you imagine just looking down at the world like that <laughs> he's I very can't. handsome too he's very he got handsome. it off <laughs> he really does he's funny it's just what doesn't kareem abdul jabbar have <laughs> literally nothing perfect nothing. 
I uh, I was really struck, and maybe it was just because in the previous episode they had been fighting, but I was just really like kind of taken aback by how great a friend Cece is to Jess in this episode, particularly when she's asking him about her relationship with Russell and like Jess is clearly like in that honeymoon phase but she keeps like prying at it she's like well nothing's perfect and like you can kind of wince at that line a little bit but she was like no like she knows Jess really well and she can recognize that Jess is kind of being not taken advantage of but like like she said the relationship was all on on his terms it seemed like up to that point and she was perfectly valid in pointing that out and she pointed that out in a way that like really got to Jess and I was just really like amazed at like the depth of their friendship particularly you know being juxtaposed to their fight in the previous episode I really liked that yeah I was really struck by that too Uh, I think we get like kind of weird little snippets of relationships and I like hate I'll get into this when we start talking about the next episode, but I, like, really hate that scene between Jess and Russell at the beginning of this episode. Remind me what that scene is. It's, like, they're at that, like, a party. Oh, they're at the party and she's, like, talking to him about the underwear thing? Yeah. Yeah. That, I thought about this. This was one of my hot, this is my hot take. It was based on your hot take. Yes. I thought about this and I was like, why was that so weird? Like, why why was that, like, particular exchange between them so weird? And, and I think I figured it out. So the exchange itself, like the dialogue itself, if you separate it completely from those characters, if you were just reading that, like, character A, character B, it would be kind of sexy. Like, you know, like, what are, I'm, like, wearing your underwear and you can't do anything about it and blah, blah, blah. Like... But I think that the reason it doesn't work is because it isn't those two characters at all. And, like, it isn't, like, that isn't the chemistry that they've displayed at all. It was just really weird and very different from the way they've interacted otherwise in the rest of the show. And it just, like, it just didn't fit, like, who Jess was or, you know, I mean who Russell is like we've seen him for like three episodes but like it just didn't seem to fit them as characters like the dialogue itself was like fine but it just seemed to be like almost like I don't know like somebody's fantasy that was put upon these characters that it didn't just fit with you know like yeah actually yes I couldn't figure out what I hated about it and I think you really nailed it yeah it's just weird (laughs) like Jess isn't like that confident not confident maybe that's not the word I'm looking for but Jess isn't that like forth sexually forthcoming it just seems so out of character for her yeah and I think that she's like sexy and like sexually driven but it's like definitely in her own way and like that didn't feel like it was her own way exactly it seemed like it was like somebody else's idea almost and then it was just never brought up again so it was even weirder I hated that but it's like like seeing that like something like that and then seeing the scene between Jess and Cece where they're just talking about it is like I don't know just like seeing the contrast between someone that Jess really does connect with and with someone that she doesn't it's just like so clear like obviously like for Jess Cece is not a romantic interest at all but it's just like the difference between being able to understand someone and talk to them and listen to them versus like yeah this weird like feeling like you have to put on some sort of character when you're with someone or something like that that 
It's just so weird. I wonder if, if it's just that the casting didn't work out, that they just didn't have any chemistry, or if it was just that the right. I don't know if it's just like a combination of the casting and the writing or what, whatever. But yeah, it just doesn't. It doesn't work, I think, the way that, that it was intended to. Yeah. Although I do love all of the guys' reactions to Russell um, before they play True American. Like when uh, when Winston's like, what, you scared of black people? It's 2012, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that part made me kind of sad because I was like, oh, that was in 2012 and now it's 2021 and we're still like having this reckoning. That's upsetting. Damn, that was almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Time is a flat circle. One uh, time is a time is the stream into which I cast my line," said Henry David Thoreau. <laughs> like, it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, that part that part was funny though. <laughs> <laughs> or I can't remember. I wrote down. I wrote it down. I can't remember what Nick and and when uh, Nick and uh, Schmidt's interactions with him were, but I remember also laughing at those. I do, I do like that Winston followed Russell's advice, and it did win him the respect of his boss, though. That was... Especially since the advice was, stick your balls into your boss's milkshake. I... I respect that. I can, I can respect that game. <laughs> Me too. Jess was being all weird about it, and I was like, come on no. now. You gotta, you gotta be a little feisty. You, you gotta, and you gotta use your resources. If your roommate is dating an old, rich, white man... And you're working for an old rich white man. Are you not going to ask that guy, right, for tips on which to advance your career? I there was nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I agree. I would have. <laughs> his, his boss is a nut. Him in the next episode. We should just get into the next episode because we gotta talk about that guy in this. So twenty episode twenty one kids. <sighs> Y'all are about to learn a lot about me. <laughs> So, have you ever been babysitting and something goes horribly wrong? Well, luckily, I did babysit a lot as a child, you know, as the daughter of a high-ranking church member. You get asked to babysit a lot. None of the children I ever babysitted were very young, though. And luckily, nothing that ever went horribly wrong ever happened to a child. So, I'll lay out that disclaimer. I never injured a child or put a child in danger. I did, however, once. I was babysitting somebody in a condo, and uh, we were playing hide-and-seek, and and, um, they wanted to play indoor-outdoor hide-and-seek, and and so I was like, all right, well, all right, I'll go hide outside. Or no, I was the seeker. I was like, all right, I'm going to go seek outside, and they were both hiding inside, of course. And so I go to seek outside, and the yard is very small, and I see that they're not out there. I lock myself out of the house, and this is like before, I was like 12 years old. This is like before cell phones. This is like before I, I locked myself out of this condo. I tried every window. I was like banging on the door. This six-year-old's just in there like laughing at me. Like, I was like, please unlock the door. <laughs> Finally, I end up guessing the garage code. Like the little, like, you know, like the numeric pad that you type to open the garage door. I guessed it. It was a variation of one, two, three, four, and it opened by some miracle. And I went in and like, the, the kids were like six and three and they were only alone for like 45 minutes. But that was, the pro- that was probably the most panicked I've ever been <sighs> while babysitting. <laughs> it was oh inside gosh. only hide and seek from then on. <laughs> Whoa. What about you? Well, I think I've mentioned this before, but my roommate and I live under a family, and we babysit for them sometimes. 
and there was one day and usually she does the babysitting and I go in my room because I'm not great with kids and I don't love them um, but there was one day where I was like sure I'll watch them with you I, I could use some like youthful energy today how old are they the younger one is three the older one is five so very young and we had just gotten a beanbag chair and they were really excited because they want to run and jump on the beanbag as kids do and (laughs) um, Aaron had taught them to ask for space when they need space so instead of like getting angry just say I need space so they're running and jumping on the beanbag and then I'm noticing that they're like running and jumping and like kicking each other because like one of them's already on the beanbag and they're like I'm scared one of them's gonna fall on the other one's head. So I'm like, hey, one person on the beanbag at a time. If your sister's on it, you can't be on it until she's off. So that happens. But then they're fighting over who's gonna be on the beanbag. Right, of course. (laughs) And the older, or no, the young, the the older one starts pulling the younger one's hair and the younger one bites her. (gasps) And so... (laughs) Aaron picks picks the younger one up and like takes her out in the hallway to be like, okay, this is not okay. And the, the, she picks her up and immediately she's screaming, I need space! I need space! It's like three-year-old. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in the living room with the older one. She's still jumping on the beanbag. And then Aaron comes back. And they're like, hey, how are things in the hallway? And she's like, she just slapped me. <laughs> She just got slapped in the face by a three-year-old, so she had to put her in timeout for the rest of our time with them until the parents came home, but it was pretty hilarious. <laughs> Man. Should we get back to this episode? <laughs> yeah, I guess we should. We should. Um, so Cece has a pregnancy scare. I've had one pregnancy scare in my life, and it truly was a scare because I really can't think of anything I'm more scared of than giving birth. Like, I think I'd rather be lost alone in an underwater sea cavern mm-hmm. with a, a dwindling oxygen tank <laughs> than give birth. Like, I'd rather be buried alive. I don't know. I, there's something about it just really just, like, uh, just shakes me to my core. So it truly was a scare. Never been pregnant, thankfully. But thankfully, neither has CC to our knowledge. Um, yeah. I almost made the opening question for this episode. Have you ever had a pregnancy scare? And then I was like, I feel like there's too much to unpack there. We shouldn't talk about that. That's scary. You don't have to answer it, but nobody in my family listens to this podcast, so I can talk about it. Did have one pregnancy scare one time, but luckily, luckily we're all good. <laughs> I've, I've never had one, but I've been there many a time for friends that have had them. And I'm like, I'm not... No. <laughs> Where she's like, you have to wait six days for the result. That's real. Like, you have to wait almost a week after you don't... If anybody's listening and they they don't know this, you have to wait to about a week after you have a period to take a pregnancy test for it to be accurate. Because if you miss your period and say three days later you take the test, it'll come up negative even if you are pregnant. Like, you have to wait that amount of time for the amount of um, whatever HGG hormone to be detected in your bloodstream so that was that was a true part of this episode but that waiting that waiting period is really awful <laughs> i'm just so scared of, of giving birth yeah especially like i don't know i feel like even 
I was kind of thinking about this when even when Winston was like, it's 2012, bitch, or whatever. I feel like the future looked a lot brighter back then. It's, it's hard to conceive of having children when you, like, don't think that the world or your government or your economic system or whatever is gonna last. Yeah. It seems like I might outlive some of that stuff, so why would I want to propagate, I guess, another generation into a world that I don't feel like is going to be better than the one that I was born into, you know? Like, it's just kind of like, I feel like the last few years especially have really, like, and this isn't just coming out of nowhere. I read, I think it was in the, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, that, like, for the sixth year in a row, births have declined by, like, a significant percentage in this country, which is, which is, like, a real harbinger of, like, how things are actually going. You know, you can look at employment rates and inflation all you want, but, like, people aren't having kids because they don't feel safe and they don't feel protected and they don't feel like they can and that's real you know yeah sorry that was on a tangent that's <laughs> no, it's expensive to have a kid it's expensive to have it's it's like 30k to have a kid if you have to have like an ambulance or like if i don't it's it can be really expensive to just have the kid and then you have to raise them and then and you have expensive. to raise it yeah <laughs> yeah and you have to hope hope you didn't pass your mental illness and shit down to it. Like, I'd Especially with, like, the way that, like, Schmidt... The way that Schmidt first reacts to it, like, is the way that you would want anybody to react to it, right? He's like, you'll be anything you want to be in your life, whether you're a mother or not. And, like, you know, I'm behind you and all that. And then he just gets, like, way too excited about the prospect. It's so weird. Like, when Nick brings that girl over and he's just, like, hanging over her shoulder. Like, and she's just, like, kind of dead inside. Like, Yeah, I kind of, I want to unpack this a little bit because I feel like we learn a lot about Schmidt and Cece both, like, together and also separate from from this whole thing. Like, of course, yes, like, Cece's dreading having a child and Schmidt's, like hell yeah like I can't wait to be a dad but then like after they find out that it's that that's not happening then it's this weird like should we go on a date should we not go on a date and like I feel like it's really obvious to both of them that they like each other because there's that whole situation where she's clearly upset that he's asking another girl to go to the thing and like he clearly doesn't want even though it's Nick (laughs) Um, and he clearly doesn't want to but it's like they're both putting up this facade for each other but also both know that it's fake and I don't know I just want to unpack it I was thinking about this too I was like well because at first I I thought maybe Cece just doesn't want him to know that she has feelings for him so that she can keep the power but then he asks that other girl out and she so obviously like shows her hand but he doesn't it's like they it's like they don't know what to do with like the pat like they're like passing the ball back and forth now like they don't like they neither of them want to be the person that makes the the first significant move Hmm. yeah that's probably the best way of putting it is that they're both sort of I guess, I feel like for Cece, it's that she's she's the cooler one of the two, obviously. So she's like, well, I can't make the first move. And then with Schmidt, it's almost like he wants to seem cooler for Cece, so he doesn't want to do it. Except him deciding that the perfect place for them to have their real first date is Italy on ice. 
Funnily enough, uh, I think Schmidt trying to be cool for Cece is what endears him to her. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I them together, like them cooking together, and he's like, "You're off prep. Like, go like." <laughs> He like he he tries to put up this facade, but he can't help be himself. And those are the moments that I love best between them, where he's like, "Okay, you can't cut this up the right like you call this a Julianne." Like, it's like, I think that Jess hit the nail on the head when she was like, "You don't want to admit to yourself that you like Schmidt." I don't know why Schmidt would be. I don't know, but he would be so hesitant to like. Maybe he just is like disbelief, or maybe he's just not sure how to handle like the progression of the relationship especially since he was like way more into her at first of course that makes sense that he's there's probably like some hesitation there for him of being like can i even like make this move because in the past he was so like no that's not what i want you're just like this to me and then yeah i think it would probably it would be really hard to read that as it changed with someone well, and you're having to adapt your dynamic now that everybody knows about you. I hope that they, I, I predict slash hope that they stay together because I really do like their time. I know that they kind of left things like in the, the tone of the separation at the end of this episode, but I feel like their attraction to each other is undeniable. I hope they get back together soon. Do you want to talk guest stars? Yes. So we have a few interesting guest stars in this episode. Sarah, who is Russell's daughter, is played by Annalise Basso. She was in a movie called Captain Fantastic, and she is in the TV adaptation of the movie Snowpiercer, which is interesting. I haven't seen that yet, but I've been meaning to. Okay. I love David Diggs so, and Bong Joon-ho, so it surprised me that I haven't seen it, but haven't. Russell's ex, Uli, played by Jean Triplehorn, who is a very remarkable actress, well-known, has been acting for a long-ass time. She's in Basic Instinct, The Firm, Waterworld, Sliding Doors, just to name a few. She voices a parody version of herself on BoJack Horseman, because she's a good sport. Chloe, the barely legal girl that Nick brings home, um, is played by Chloe Bridges, um, and she was in Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates and Camp Rock 2. Um, seems like she may have stepped away from Hollywood recently. And then, uh, Phil Hendry reappears as Joe Napoli. <laughs> Legends. <laughs> Legends only. We already kind of touched on the, uh, the Jess and Russell situation, but just, like, I think coming out of the Cece and Schmidt conversation, one thing that, like, really struck me, again, about why the Jess and Russell situation is so weird is, like, they're all playing true American, they're all having fun, but, like, Cece walks in, and she's like, I'm gonna go get in your bed, and Schmidt's like, oh, hell yeah, like, I'm having sex, like, this is awesome, bye, y'all, and it's because he's super into her, and, like, they have fun having sex together and stuff, but, like, apparently, (laughs) but then when, um, the situation is with Russell and Jess, where they're, like, all sitting out in the like, talking, and she's like, I'm going to bed, and he's like, okay, like, whatever. I just, like, it, the that contrast was so obvious to me, and I was like, no, don't yeah. be with him. And, and on one hand, I was like, okay, I've definitely been in situations where 
I have not been prepared for how drunk I was going to be like that evening or with like but I've always I, I feel like I've never been like with a partner and been they've been like I'm going to bed and I've just been like okay you know like I it's, it's it was always just like some agreement or whatever like right like on one on one hand I get like getting too fucked up and maybe having to sit up for a little bit but like you can communicate that right. like you don't have to you don't have to be a dick about it yeah and the whole like him being like it's a guy thing like I was like Shut yeah up. that made that, that pissed me off Jess had kind of nice chemistry with Sarah the daughter like that they got along well together Sarah was where well, Sarah was a fun character. <laughs> I was trying to remember I've always been sort of a love struck person. I was trying to remember the first like older person that I had a crush on, like when I was like twelve or thirteen like when I was like that age, you know. I'm sure it had to be somebody at church or whatever, but I just remember like falling in love with like fucking everybody at that age and just she just played that really well and just like handled that really well and like there wasn't any weird tension or competition between them she was just like genuinely trying to bond with this child of divorce that like is in the most awkward part of your her life and like i enjoyed their chemistry a lot it was it was nice to see and and you can really see that jess is like good at her job yeah i agree i love that she's like that's an after school bra (laughs) (laughs) because I enjoyed Jess and Sarah so much together. It was, like, almost worse how harsh Uli was to her at the end. Being, like, like literally saying that she's a mess to her face. Yeah. I understand uh, the awkwardness, but, like, you don't have to be rude. Especially since she just did you a favor. Yeah. She just did your entitled ass a favor by watching your daughter for free. You don't have to say she's a mess because she had it together more than you because she was able to provide childcare for the weekend. So it, uh, women can be so awful to each other. Yeah. Well, should we get into favorite character moments? I think that's when we're going to really touch on Joe Napoli. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we got to get there. <laughs> so what was your favorite Jess moment? Um, I love it when she's like, two moons have passed and you have not told me about this. That just opens up so much into the way that Jess thinks about things and like the way that she thinks about time. <laughs> she's like, there's been two moons. Like she, that's just the way that it makes the most sense to her to describe it. It was so great. She was so sincere about it. I had a lot of Jess quotes written down, but that, that, <laughs> that was my favorite. My favorite was, um, I think she's talking to Nick when she says this, but she says, I might as well call you Bridge to Terabithia because you make children cry. Did you ever see that movie? I did. And what I loved even more is that Zoe Deschanel played the teacher in that movie. Oh, was she really? Yeah, she plays a hot teacher. I only ever read the book. I never saw the movie. My dad wouldn't let me because he heard that it made children cry. It's like, Nas too sad. You're already sad enough. <laughs> True. Like, what dark stuff that they just made us consume as children with that particularly. Like, what? Right. Why did, why did that have to happen that way? <laughs> it could have just been a magical fantasy world where they went together and had fun. She didn't have to die. No. Spoiler no. alert. <laughs> she dies. Messed up. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite Schmidt moment? Oh, God, Schmidt. Winston tells Schmidt, "You're in the Schmidt. You're in the prime of your life right now." <laughs> he applauds him like during 
but so many great Schmidt quotes. But I think my favorite, and it's just because this illustrates how well he knows his roommates, but it's when he comes home and he finds out that everybody knows about him and Cece, and he, go, he goes, you told Sweat back? <laughs> because he knows that every time Nick has a secret, his back gets sweaty. <laughs> and surely enough, Winston did tell Nick, and Jess noticed the back sweat right away. <laughs> it was an amazing bit. <laughs> Mine was, well, really, like, the whole conversation with Nick on the phone where he's, like, pretending to ask out another girl to make Cece jealous. And he's like, hey, what's up, Nicole? (laughs) But particularly, like, the places where he is really, really searching for what to say. And he goes, uh, uh, you taking taking care of that tushy for me? And it's, like, so timid. And Nick is like, do you want to hang out more, Schmidt? Are you doing all right? Like, Nick is just answering the questions incomplete. I, I honestly think they left it ambiguous as to whether Nick was in on the bit or if he was just legitimately answering these questions from Schmidt. What was your favorite Nick moment? Well, I have sent you this before, but just him and the Italian, the Italy on ice, the whole montage. Do something weird, Mussolini. We love you. <laughs> like, I love when... Schmidt tells him that Cece might be pregnant and Nick's like I'm not ready to be a godparent and he's like okay man I'm not gonna ask you to be the godparent like you can chill out and then he's like okay cool cool well I'm not ready to be an uncle (laughs) he's like you're not my brother man and then Nick's like oh okay cool (laughs) honestly same if one of our friends was to be like I'm having a baby I'd be like I'm not ready to be an uncle (laughs) like (laughs) uh what was your favorite Winston moment honestly couldn't pick one the whole theodore k mullins thing is just killer but i i really liked him when he when when jess leaves after she finds out that they all had sex sexual ideation about her they go well what did the raccoon hands look like and he goes oh man they were digging through that garbage and he's like grins I laughed so hard at that. It was like when he was like, she's like, oh, he got a mustache. He was like, thin and wispy, just like I like it. (laughs) So funny. Mine was definitely Theodore K. Mullins. Oh my gosh. He's just like, I know how to make all these people shut up. I'm on his lover on the down low. (laughs) He goes like full Scarlet O'Hara. Oh. Uh, What was your favorite CC moment? Oh, and the montage where she's like, you're always so judgmental. She's talking to Jess. And then it flashes back to Cece and she's like, I had to give it a try, Jess. That's the hand that was inside Elmo. (laughs) Why would you judge that? I'd be like, I get it. Yeah, of course you had to give it a try. Of course you had to give that a try. What about you? (laughs) Oh, mine was when she's, um, she's talking to Jess about what happened with Schmidt and Jess is yeah she's doing the two moons thing and then Cece's trying to justify and she's like it's just something that happened and got out of control like poison oak just kept scratching and scratching (laughs) and he's like you started it and she's like yeah (laughs) like she can't deny it we had a lot of other favorite moments, so... We we really did. Well, there was just oh, so... Me. There were so many. Well, the uh, the girl that plays Sari, Holly, in this show, has a great line where she's like, Who's that? To Nick. She's like, Was it the stuck-up bitch last night with the fake hand? So specific. <laughs> who, who could that have been? <laughs> 
And then when the garbage disposal, the whole bit with the garbage disposal, and he just, like, starts, like, wildly oscillating this 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 implement into the garbage disposal and he's like anchor me anchor me and winston and Schmidt get right behind it this is like obviously something that happens all the time and russell like offers a plumber like very nicely and they all get super sensitive about it and she's like well plumbing's a super sensitive issue and he's like oh i didn't know and she's like well, how could you have that whole exchange is really great <laughs> And then, I love it when TV shows and movies do this. It's like a weird little uh, Brechtian device. But, like, the conversation when Jess and Cece are, like, making up during their race. And it's, like, this very cinematic, like, make-up moment. And they're in the middle of the sixth, or this, this 10K. And in the middle of their sentence, this guy just cuts through. He's like, heads up, I'm peeing. <laughs> like, runs right in between them. And it's just, like, it's, like, little things like that. That's just, like, oh, yeah, this is a TV show. Like, it just reminds you, like... <laughs> It kind of takes it kind of takes you out of like the super cinematicness of it. I love it. <laughs> I forgot about that. That part is funny. I had two, and then we can try talk about the needle drops. Freaking Joe Napoli. Pretty much every time he spoke, but in particular when they're when Winston's supposed to be driving him to that event, and he's, they're in the car, and he's like yeah yeah baby yard sale i feel so alive right now he starts running and then he goes oh charlie horse do you have yard sale friends not really so my friend from high school sarah she's getting married this summer props to her uh she was my first yard sale friend where we would just be driving somewhere or whatever like hanging out she's like oh yard sale and like whip into it like and just be like oh we gotta go check this out and julia is also like that she'll just be like oh fucking estate sale (laughs) like she took me to an estate sale the other day she bought this vase that was so heavy that both of us had to carry it. Like, I feel like you gotta have a yard sale friend to keep things spontaneous <laughs> in your life. My other, my other favorite moment was um, Sarah. <laughs> And she's like listening to all the drama and she goes, your life's like Gossip Girl, except everyone's old and poor. I love it when Sarah was like asking her about all the sex things, but they were just like slightly wrong. Like she's like, do you think we'll do it animal style? I just kept remembering what I used to think a blowjob was. Like at that age, like Sarah was great. She held her own. She was, she was quite funny. I felt like... I agree. A lot of good child actors on this show, which is fun. Really. Some some two great classic punk needle drops in in some of these episodes. We get I don't want to walk around with you from the Ramones in the race, which is just great. And then uh, Death or Glory during True American, which that song should make its way into more of my playlists, honestly. Uh, who had the best moments? Oh, I'm ready for this one. The best moments, Schmidt and Cece's chemistry won this set of episodes for me. They just are so great together and just bring out the, <clears throat> excuse me, they bring out the absolute best in each other. And just like even in little moments, like when they're cooking and Jess is like, you guys are adorable. And she's like, got like carrying the knife and he's like, careful with that knife. It's from Japan. <laughs> like just their chemistry is just perfect. I'm always interested in, in what they're going to say to each other when they're on screen together. And so I think they won, won the episode for me. <laughs> I'm going to throw a curveball and say that 
Joe Napoli had the best <laughs> moments. Yeah. That's valid. <laughs> Just in that last episode alone. What's it say? Bill Bill Strahan makes me feel like a jackass or whatever his name. That's why he's like sprinting across Griffith Park and like <laughs> I like your house. It's not my house. Go, go. <laughs> when Winston tells him what he did to the shakes and he's like, that's hilarious. Let's do it to Kareem. We're going to do it to Kareem. And then him and Kareem are passing the, the shake back and forth to each other in the post credit scene because they don't want to try. So good. Amazing. All right. Predictions? Well, I feel like my predictions are kind of carrying a lot of weight this time because we're getting close to the season finale so i think i'm gonna have to start making some bold predictions i predict that jess and russell are not gonna last i'm gonna say like either the next episode or it'll be like a bit or it they'll either break up in the next episode or it'll be like a thing in the season finale okay um i predict that schmidt and cc are gonna find their way back to each other soon i think their chemistry was way too much fun for them to avoid each other for too much longer um yeah those are going to be my predictions for now. I don't know, like, I guess, Nick and Winston, they're going to surprise me with whatever with whatever happens with them. Is Winston still with Shelby? Yes. Okay, so they're, they're fine then. I guess they'll break up soonish, just because she hasn't been around a whole lot. So why keep one of your eligible bachelors occupied, I guess, if you're a writer on this show? I don't know what's gonna happen with Nick and Jess. I don't know if they'll like there'll be like a thing or not. Maybe there'll be like a mo- like a charged moment, but I don't like I don't know if they'll get together by the end of the season. I think they're still gonna stretch that out a little bit. Those are my predictions. <laughs> Good predictions. Uh, well, uh, what else are you reading, watching, listening to? Well, uh, I'm still muddling my way through Middlemarch. Uh, I haven't had a ton of time to read because I've been um, packing a lot of things and doing a lot of moving stuff but because i've been doing a lot of moving stuff i have been listening to this great new podcast that i can't wait to tell you about so it's called someplace underneath have you heard of it i have not so neath is spelled n-e-i-t-h like the egyptian goddess um so it's produced by the last podcast network which i know is like a huge podcast network and kyle's a super big fan of theirs and i know that like a lot of people really like them i haven't found any of their podcasts that i've connected to really until this one the two women that host this are very articulate very funny and very like passionate about what they're talking about so it's it's kind of a true crime podcast but kind of not it's specifically about women who have gone missing in history so the first person they talk about is the woman Shelley miskovich the wife of the head of scientology that hasn't been seen since 2007 Oh. Yeah, and then they talk about all these indigenous women that went missing under mysterious circumstances in Canada. And then they talk about Ghislaine Maxwell. They do a five-parter on her, and, like, it's it's fucked up. <laughs> and then they um, are also doing this other... The most recent thing they did was about this woman who went missing, like, last year. But they're not, like, journalists or anything, so they're very much, like, you know, they're very much not afraid to talk about, like, police reform and law enforcement reform and, like, what it means to, like, represent the community and stuff like that. And I'm just really enjoying hearing their perspective on, like, 
women who I feel like missing people often like take a backseat to people who have been like found murdered just because it's like less sexy or whatever and and they really do justice to the people that they're talking about and really humanize like the the people who have been victimized by the people they're talking about in some cases it's really good you you've got to listen to it you'll get three there's only like seven episodes you'll get through it like in in a week like it's great you'll love it what's it called again um someplace underneath and it um neath is spelled n-e-i-t-h because neath is actually a moon of venus that went missing in the 1700s so it was this like celestial body that had been observed for like hundreds of years like orbiting venus and then in the 1700s it just like disappeared and hasn't been and nobody knows what happened it's the whole moon just like fucking went away and it was named after the egyptian goddess of like creation and so that's why they're called that so it's it's very cool they're very sad they're they're very savvy uh you'll like them a lot (laughs) oh i love that yeah (laughs) okay i can't wait so i have uh, to open up the (laughs) the nomad land discourse again oh yeah I'm not sure. I'm mostly bringing it up again just because I want to say it out loud. (laughs) But I finished the book and I loved the book. I thought it was wonderful. The thing that I had a qualm about ended up working itself out. I think it was just like this weird phrasing and a passage early on that made me like be like, ooh you realize that like people are doing this because of their economic state, right? And then like, obviously like in the end that was the point. And then I watched the movie And I have to say, I did not love the movie. The reason why is that I think it is more powerful when it's real people. And I think that the the writing really wanted it to be a documentary, but also really wanted to control what was being said and done. So like chose something in the middle and it didn't make sense. I could not agree more, especially using an actress as recognizable and as acclaimed as Frances McDormand. Just all of her lines seemed so off-putting and artificial to me, especially when juxtaposed with, like, these real stories of real people who, granted, consented to have their stories used, but also, like, you weren't sure if they knew who she was this whole time. And, like, I just, I was off-put by I guess the concept of like making the movie the way that it was made I don't I just I agree I couldn't agree more with that take I haven't read the book um to be fair and and I only I was had a lot of opinions about this movie when it came out and I've since sort of really cooled down but like I, I I really think that like it it sort of knocked its own knees out by using somebody but why like why couldn't you have found somebody with performance abilities that was already in that community Mm, interesting did you need to like did you need to have Frances McDormand to secure funding like why if you really wanted to make this movie the way that it seemed like it wanted to be made like why couldn't you have found people who had these capabilities or had like follow one person's story or like just adjust one person that was already in that community that maybe wasn't as that wasn't going to take you out of it as much as Frances's presence did especially since she won too i just wasn't i just wasn't crazy about it i would recommend the book highly like very much i would recommend but yeah there was something that like really i i like i think that like that francis mcdormand's performance is good but i wish that the movie had either been more dramatic in that vein where it let her be that character and follow her on the journey like there's a lot of dialogue for no reason 
it could have been a mostly silent movie and made a lot more sense and like hit home more emotionally but like when i'm hearing these people talk in ways that people in a documentary talk i'm like why is this dialogue like this and not a documentary about these people because people do that all the time write a nonfiction book and then a documentary that's about yeah. the same thing that's interesting that you said that it could have worked if it mostly had been silent because I think that what works the most about Chloe Zhao's directing is her shots like her like she captured the landscape of the west really well it was a beautifully shot movie it just the just everything else bothered me you know like and so i feel like if you had taken some of that dialogue away and really made it more about the the people that it was supposed to be about things could have been a little bit better but i'm gonna have to read the book it's it's on my list of of things to to read and with your endorsement i i will certainly check it out that's good it's really good but so that was my hot take, but also a podcast wreck that I discovered today reading the, the, the morning paper, the New York Times this mm. morning. There is a podcast called The Turning. Uh, I'm going to get the subtitle wrong. Uh, the Turning, The Sisters Who Left. And it is a it's about Mother Teresa and the ways in which she was cult leader-ish. Uh, and it's about, like, nuns that left her order because of, like, emotional abuse from her and, like, the ways in which that, like, it was very much, like, almost a fetishizing of suffering instead of, like, actually trying to help people who are suffering oh. and, like, understand what they're feeling. Um, which is, like, kind of sad for me because I was, I was kind of like Mother Teresa, but now I'm like, oh, even your heroes can be shitty. That's kind of a crazy taught like because i've always been interested in like the way that suffering and and people being creative have been related so it's i guess i never really thought about that in like a religious context but that makes a makes a ton of sense (laughs) yeah because her whole thing was like you should live as the poor live and like it makes sense in the context of religion if you believe in that but like you know there i guess (laughs) now i'm learning from this podcast that there's a fine line between like yeah, wanting to help people and just thinking that suffering is loving some higher power because it's that's, not. <laughs> that's crazy. I'm going to have to listen to that. Yeah, there's only two episodes out, um, but there was an article about it in the New York Times this morning that I read hmm. and I was like, ooh, on that note. <laughs> you all should know next week uh, we're getting close to the end of the season. So next week's episode, we're only going to be talking about two episodes. And then the season finale, we're going to spend talking about the entire season. So we've got two more episodes in season one for y'all uh, coming up. Just so just so the plan is made, made clear. <laughs> so yeah, get ready for some fun, y'all. Can't believe we're already through the season. I know, it's gone so fast. Uh, season two. Right around the corner. All right, well, listeners, thank you so much. Come back in two weeks. Uh, this has been Not Another New Girl podcast. Theme music by Hannah Scambalone. Editing by Ellie Kniff. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>